So, how many people use the internet? You use the internet, right? How many people use Facebook? Those of you who don't are basically ghosts. We don't even know you exist anymore. Um, <laughs> so this week, so one of the things about Facebook and Twitter and, and, and those types of things um, is the sharing of information and stuff. Now, nine times out of ten, what gets shared? Stuff that you don't care about, right? It's the political thing or this manipulatory thing or, or this. It's just stuff, you know, cat videos. They're, they're, they're cool sometimes. But this week I saw a video from the from the show Pawn Stars. Anybody seen that? Pawn Stars. You got the bald guy who sells who buys your junk and you try to tell him it's worth a lot and he's like, I'm still gonna give you a dollar. Now, how many people are familiar with the band Def Leppard? All of you, right? Of course. If you grew up in the eighties, you know who Def Leppard is. Uh semi heavy metal band from the eighties. If you don't know who Def Leppard is, every time I say that word, just think rock band. Okay? Um, well, this lady brings in, if you understand the premise of the show, you bring something in, the guy kind of haggles with the price, and they end up, you know, they end up buying whatever or not buying whatever is trying to be pawned. Well, this lady brought in uh, a guitar, a Jackson guitar, uh, that had been painted with like splatter paint, had a Chinese symbol on the side, and her claim was that this was painted by Phil Collin, the, uh, the lead guitarist of Def Leppard. Very talented musician. It wasn't only uh, a guitar he painted. It was his signature guitar. Because once you become a very famous musician, generally some guitar company will make you your own custom guitar. And so this lady wants $10,000. And the bald guy, as usual, is like, well, I'm not giving you that much. i got to call in an expert. So the expert comes in. And he's like, well, you know, this, this signature model by itself is some $3,000. And he starts looking at some signatures and things. And and not only is this a, a, a painted model, Phil Collin himself painted it but based on autographs and artist proofs and things like that. So still kind of balking, you know, I don't know. Well, the expert brings in another expert. He brings in Phil Collin of Def Leppard. And the guy comes in and basically says, yeah, that's my guitar. I painted this one along with nine others for Jackson Guitar Company for their 30th anniversary. Then he pulls out an amplifier, starts playing it all crazy. The wee 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 and uh, so the, the, the Pawn Stars guy is just like blown away, like, oh my gosh, it's all true, and the guy just played the guitar. Ends up giving the lady like $8,500 for it. She wanted ten grand. He gave her almost all of that. Now, see, at the beginning of that, he's like, I don't know. I don't know much about this guitar. I mean, this, guy's, this guy knows about uh, uh, instruments and things like that. He's a, a guy who's been giving out money for junk for a lot of time. Um, but he was hesitant until... He knew the truth about this instrument. All of a sudden, the worth of this instrument skyrocketed. It went from this tiny guitar that, that you know, could be something to the man who created it actually playing it in his presence, confirming that, yes, indeed, this guitar was mine that I painted myself, and it is worth, uh, you know, some ten or $12,000. What does all that have to do with anything? Um, no, I'm not a spokesman for Pawn Stars, and I don't really care for the show all that much. My point is this. The worth of something is more attributed to the person who created it, and it's, 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 it's um, up to. It relies upon the person who created it rather than the creation itself. See, today we're going to talk about walking worthy of the calling that we have. But let's just be truthful. When we think about Jesus, how worthy do we feel? I don't feel more worthy when I think about Jesus. I think about what he had to do for my sin. It makes me feel unworthy. 
And if I sin or if I fall or if I fall to temptation, it doesn't make me feel worthy of anything. It makes me feel unworthy. It does the opposite. And, and let's not even take into account Satan who will uh, continuously accuse us and call us out by our sin just in and of ourselves. We'll beat ourselves up enough knowing what we've done. And, and then, then we get invited to church or invited to worship and we feel unworthy. And it's like, I don't want to go because I feel such guilt and condemnation from my life. The things that I know what I've done. I can't hide what I've done. I can't pretend, yay, Jesus, when on the inside I feel black and, 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 and just judged and, and condemned. But here's the lesson we're going to learn today. Your worth is not based on you. Now, don't mistake this message for a, a fire you up, rah-rah type of a thing. Because getting you excited for Jesus is the same as getting you angry for Jesus. It's an emotion. It will come. It will fade. And then you'll be stuck in the same place you were. This is about knowing the truth and letting that truth set you free. So the truth is none of us are worthy. If we don't feel worthy, um, that's actually more true to our human nature than almost anything else. The fact that Jesus had to die on a cross for our sins shows that we were not worthy enough to even die for ourselves. Like We couldn't even do that part. We couldn't even die and, and try to pay and atone for the sins that we've done. It's that Even that's not enough. Our worth is not found in what we can do. Our worth is found in what Jesus has done. And so we're going to talk about our worth. And then we're going to talk about walking worthy because they, they are both connected, but they have their own distinctions. So turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse, oh, we're starting verse 3. Up until this point, I've looked at more of a theme, uh, or, or I've approached this in more of a theme um, sermon, meaning whatever came up in the verses, I use that as an opportunity to speak about that. In a few weeks or in a few months when we get to it, uh, Paul will talk about slavery, and we'll use that to talk about slavery um, not just biblical slavery, but what that means as our own country and how we've dealt with slavery. And so that's sort of a theme. But now I'm going to go back to more of a verse-by-verse -verse exhortation of this uh, chapter of this book. Colossians 1 and 3 says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you've learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Verse 9 says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, we praise you because your word is good. And I thank you that you sent your only Son 
to stand in our place, that we here today can stand here in your holiness, in your sanctification, in your purity, while we might fall short of your mark, Jesus does not. And may we be found in him today. May we, may we realize the truth of being transferred from one kingdom to another, that we have been reunited with our everlasting Father. And may that bring about the most change in our life ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, Paul says that from the beginning we have not ceased to pray for you. Colossians 1 and 9, that's where that's found. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. It's one of the shortest verse slash commands we find in all of the Bible. You have Jesus wept. There's another two-word verse somewhere. And then this one says, pray without ceasing. What that means is that our life is a lifestyle of prayer. Um, you know, if you're one of those people who go into your prayer closet and pray for hours on end, um, that's great. If you're in the other group and you don't even know what a prayer closet is because you haven't even been in church long enough to understand that that phrase and it hasn't been used uh, in sort of our generation for a while, that's okay. The idea is this, whether you pray for hours on end in solitude somewhere or you live your daily life in constant communion with God, talking to him, our, we are called to a lifestyle of prayer, a lifestyle of talking to the Lord. That means even as I'm preaching to you now, I'm praying. I'm asking the Lord to guide me and direct me internally as I speak to you externally. And so I would encourage you that even as I'm preaching, that you would be in prayer and, and in communion with God, just saying, Lord, help me to you know, open my eyes, open my ears, and my spirit to receive the word that you want me to hear today. But that extends beyond the church. This means when we drive home and when we go to work and when we go to school and when we uh, are, are talking to other people, there's always this, this connection with God through prayer. There's always this, this, this dialogue between you and him. And often we, we, we take this pray without ceasing verse and we use it kind of as the, the stick that breaks the pinata. I won't stop praying and then God will give me what I want. Um, if you spend all of your time in prayer only about yourself, that's a good start, but it shouldn't make up all of your prayer. Your prayer should be intercession for other people. Your prayer should be that you would be changed and, and, and conformed to the will of God rather than your own will, that you would understand God's will. Paul starts saying, I pray for you always, and then the verses turn into a prayer about these people. We are called to a lifestyle of prayer, and it's not something that comes easy for me, early on as a Christian, you know, I forgot about God six days out of the week. And then, you know, Saturday night around midnight, I was like, oh, church, like, I forgot about Jesus. Like, I forgot about my life and his life going together. And so, you know, you clean yourself up for Sunday and then it all starts over again. It wasn't until about 24 or 25 where I committed my life to the Lord. And I just said, Lord, you know, I want to do your will. And I, I can't tell you those are the magic words. All I can tell you is that from that moment on, um, this continuous prayer dialogue, between him and I has, has existed. And, and it's not because I'm always praying. It's because he's always like in my ear. It's like he's always, he's always making sure I'm seeing things. And like this whole deaf leopard analogy thing. Like I was up at like 1.30 last night and all of a sudden it all clicked. I saw the clip like on Tuesday and it all makes sense. Like, oh man, I just seen a message from the Lord in this video about deaf leopard. And nobody's ever said that sentence. I'm pretty sure of it. I would put that up on, on Facebook to see if anybody's ever done that. I doubt that they have. And now maybe you don't you don't see that, but but 
you are called to this continuous life of prayer between him and you. And not just a one-sided uh, dialogue. That's called a monologue. That's what Fallon does at the beginning of his show. He comes out and just talks and everybody else listens. You know, this is a monologue. We're talking about a dialogue where there's back and forth. And, and, and there's thousands of books that will tell you how to make God talk to you. And I doubt every single one of them. Be in God's word. Pray. I guarantee you at some point the Lord will speak to you through his word, through some example, through a friend, through the prayers of others. The Lord will speak to you at some point because if you love something, you communicate with them, right? You, you, you want to talk with them. Like people that I love, they tell me, hey, can we get together? And I say, yeah, as soon as I can, as soon as my thing clears up, because I want to talk to you. You're my friend. You're my brother. You're my sister. I want to talk to you. Some people will come up after service and be like, well, I want to talk about this. I don't want to threaten your authority. Like I, I have nothing to be threatened about, by. Just whatever you want to talk about. Well, I didn't agree with this. That's okay. Let's talk about it. You're my friend. You're my brother. You're my sister. I want to talk to you. That's, that's a fraction of this loving God that we learn about in the Bible, how much he, he desires to have a relationship with us, that he would sacrifice all to save you so that he might even be reconciled to you to have that type of a dialogue. Now, some of you, just as a side note here, I want to kind of give you some proof in the pudding uh, to kind of help some bad theology or some bad doctrine. Some of you have been taught that if you just simply pray for something, you'll get it. Um, be fervent about it. Repeat it a lot. Keep, get a bunch of people to agree with you, and then you get what you want. Paul has said, we have not ceased to pray for you. Me and at least Timothy, maybe some other people, we've been praying for you, Colossian Church, for a long time, that you would know the will of God, that you would understand him, that you would fall in love with him, that you would be obedient to him. But Paul, why is Paul writing this letter? Because the opposite is true. In spite of all of his prayers that this church would have good, sound doctrine and theology, they find themselves in, themselves in folly because people have infiltrated and brought in bad theology and doctrine. And it doesn't mean that God has not answered their prayer. In, in this letter, he's answering their prayer. You see, he, he sent this messenger, Paul, to correct them. But what you find in prayer is le it's less about the answer. I mean, sometimes it is, but it's less about the answer than it is about the investment that it creates between two people or two groups. Paul is in a jail cell right now, worried about the Colossian church because he has prayed without ceasing for this church. It doesn't mean that instantaneously God changed this church because Paul uttered those words. In fact, I believe the Colossian church uh, very shortly within a generation or so, was gone. It, it just it, The city itself was destroyed, and this Colossian church, the city of Colossae, it was gone. And so what I'm here to tell you is that God absolutely answers prayer, but the answer to that prayer is often the changing of you. See, Paul was a changed man, and a lot of that change came through prayer. I mean, we have the, the, if you want to get real technical about it, the Holy Spirit and all that. But this was a man who devoted himself to prayer, and it changed how he was in relationship with everybody else. He now loved this church that he was not in the midst of at the moment, enough to take whatever resources he had to give them back to that church so they can find themselves in right theology. And some of you are praying for sons and daughters, for moms and dads, you're praying for your coworkers, and you're just not seeing anything, I want to encourage you, it's more about changing you than changing them at this point. 
It only takes a moment for God to, to light that spark in their life and things will be completely different. Until then, you've got to be changed. You've got to stand in integrity. You have to be a person of faith by example and by, by the words that you speak. And, and there are so many things that God's going to use in that moment to refine you before he ever saves that person or brings them into a saving relationship with him. Now, God is, is uh, a big God, and he can do things outside of this little box that I've put him in right now. You know, you might have an example. Well, this happened this way. Well, of course it did, because he's God, and I can't pin him down like that. But more often than not, in the example we see in this scripture is that Paul has prayed for this church and has yet to see the answer to this prayer. Okay, and, and in fact, as time goes on, you're going to see this church gone. Okay, that doesn't mean that God has not answered his prayer. It just means he didn't answer the prayer the way maybe Paul had maybe desired. But Paul was changed nonetheless. Prayer has this great ability to change you, and I think that's why we avoid it sometimes, because it's going to change us. God's going to say something, and we're going to know it, and we can't run away from it. We're going to have this knowledge, and now we're accountable to it. But we don't pray. We think. We won't get that moment. It still comes. Colossians 1.9 says, And so from the day we heard, uh, and that's that Paul heard of their faithfulness, obedience to the truth, or adherence to the truth, the gospel of Jesus, love for one another. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It happened then, it happens now. The danger in being in front of people is always that the people will look to that person in front as a functional savior. We are watching that played out right now in our political system, right? We have men and women who are standing up and people are looking upon them because they're in the forefront and they're looking to them as functional saviors, meaning they're the people who are going to save us. And they become followers of that person. And we would look at that and say that's a negative account of that. For Paul, it was the same. People were worshiping Paul rather than God. And there were very few things more abhorrent to Paul than that. To have, to have instead of Christians, to have Paul... You know, Paulites, people who, who call themselves followers of Paul rather than followers of Christ. Church, it's not my goal or job to make you a follower of me. I think that if that's your goal, you're going to end up worse than when you first started. And I love the relationship we have and all that. That's not what I'm calling into question. What I'm talking about is if you are just a follower of me or this ministry or this church, you're going to end up disappointed at some point because we're going to say or do something that you don't agree with. You know, we're going to paint the church a color and you're not going to like it. We're going to do something, uh, you know, we're going to change service time and you're just going to freak out. You know, we're going to have it on this day and not that day or this time and not this time. And you're not going to agree because you're so invested in the people here. And that's a good thing in a sense. But when it switches over to idol worship, now we have a problem. Paul put it like this when he was talking to the Corinthian church. He says, but I, brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready. Uh, you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For Now, pretty big accusation, right? You're not spirit-filled people. You're flesh-engulfed people. But why? Why are, they, why are they so fleshly? What's the accusation? 
for while there is jealousy and strife among you are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way for when one says i follow paul and another says i follow apollo are you not being merely human what then is apollos what is paul servants through through uh, excuse me servants through whom you believed as the lord assigned to each i planted apollos watered but god gave the growth so neither of he, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only god who gives the growth he who plants and he who waters are are one and each will receive his wages according to his labor for we are god's fellow workers you are god's field god's building paul had to address the corinthian church and call them spiritual babies spiritual infants because they're walking around saying yeah well i follow the teachings of paul oh yeah well i follow apollos and i follow this guy well i follow this variation of that teaching and we see the same thing today i'm a calvinist i'm a arminian i'm a this i'm a that i'm pentecostal i'm a baptist i'm a presbyterian i'm i'm from this group or that group and they're worshiping and we're worshiping a thing rather than the one who made all the things and paul says it's not about you becoming a good follower of paul it's about you following me because I'm following Jesus saying, hey, let's all go follow Jesus. You know, you're going to run. I'm going to, you know, brisk walk. Let's just all go together. Let's all go in the same direction. You don't have to do it just like me, but you have to do it just like God said. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. None come through the Father except through me. Paul's prayer, the beginning of his prayer, is that we would have the understanding, not just of every intricacy of God, because truthfully, if we could do that, then God's smaller than us, um, and he's not. So we can't be confined to our own mind, but that we would at least know his will. And for some of us, that's the most frustrating thing. It's like, God, just tell me what to do, and I will do it. Just tell me. Just tell me what you want. Husbands, you ever have that discussion? What do you want for dinner? I don't know. What do you want? And you mentioned 15 places. And none of them work, right? Now, that doesn't happen in my marriage. I'm just bringing it up as an example. I see it happen with you guys. Right? You're just like, I just want to know, I just want to know what you want. Sometimes we get in that argument with God. I just want, I just want to know because that seems to be the key to unlocking so much in this relationship. Truth be told, it is. Sometimes we want the big picture and God's just giving us small steps. Here's the next step. Here's the next step. But I want to know everything. No, you need to know this part right here. The word says that, I believe it's in the, Psalm, in the Psalms, that God's word is a lamp unto my feet. You ever go outside with a lamp? You don't see everything, but you can see your next step, right? The word of God is meant not to direct you uh, to know the entire plan for your whole life, but to know the next step in your life. And then from there, you will see the next step, and from there, you'll see the next step. But that means... To, know the, to even know these things is a struggle. And so Paul says, we're praying for you. This is what we're praying for you. Church, this is what I pray for you. Not just on Sunday morning that we'd all understand the message today, but throughout the week. Oh, I pray for this person. Now give them steadfast. I'm never, you know, some of you will say, I want this. And it's usually a good thing. I'm not down to anybody. But what I'll pray is, Lord, just, just change them and according to your will, that they would see not what they desire, but that they would see what you desire, that they would that they would fall in line with what you've called them to, even when their what their desire is is not the same. They're not compatible. And so, is that a dangerous prayer? Yeah, because it's going to change you completely. 
It doesn't mean I don't ask for healing and miracles in your life. I do. But I would rather you become a person who follows Jesus than relies upon my prayers for your life. Does that, does that sort of make sense? I don't want you to think that Pastor Tony has the magic words to say to get something done in your life. I'm glad to pray for you, to come alongside you, and to be your shepherd and all that. But at the end of the day, it's your voice that, God's hear, that God hears in his ear. It's, the, it's your desires in your heart that he's changing, that he's making brand new. Our desire here is not to make you a South Bay Chapelite. I mean, we love that you come to this church and you're part of the family and all that. We love that. But at the end of the day, you belong to the church. And the church is what binds all the believers on the face of this planet today. It's that church that Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against. It's that church that is the bride of Christ. There are a lot of ministries in our area. They're probably... There's probably some that are bad, but there's some that are great, and they love Jesus, and they make disciples, and that's what we want to be, but we don't want to be the end all. We're not the only church. I would choose this church hands down over any other church. However, I'd be naive to say this is the only church that loves Jesus. It's the only church that has us. I love that. But the point is we are part of something much bigger than this small square of land that we find ourselves in central New York. See, when you, when you go the other way, what does Paul say? The opposite is true. When you're, well, I'm, I follow this internet preacher or this podcaster. That, that's who I believe. Well, Paul says, well, you're, then you're like a baby. I mean, you can be a fan of whoever you want. You can listen to whoever you choose. But if that, what, if that is what defines you more than just being a follower of Christ, you've stepped into a place of idolatry. You've stepped into a place where that person or that group or that ministry is more important than a personal relationship with Jesus, which they're trying to tell you about. It doesn't make the group or the person bad in and of itself. It just means you've supplanted Jesus with them. And we have to be careful. It's evidence of being a spiritual child or a spiritual infant. And the simple answer is just repentance at that point. Say, Lord, I'm sorry, and walk away from that. I know for me personally, I've done that. And so what I've had to do is just walk away from that person or that ministry, not because they're bad, but because I made a good thing into a God thing. And until I can get my stuff together, i got to make sure that that's kind of out of my life for a while. Maybe I come back when I'm changed and refined. Maybe, never, maybe I never do. But my relationship with Jesus has to come first and foremost. If we have followers of me, we no longer have a church. We have a cult. And so let that be the last warning in this. Uh, it's not that everybody's come beating down my door. Tony, I want to follow you. That's not what I'm talking about. It's less about me. And it's more about people that we are so uh, easily that are so easily accessible. You know, this past week, ever heard of Andy Stanley? Andy Stanley, uh, son of Charles Stanley. You know, it's like that's basically like preaching royalty at this point. Um, he said some negative things about small churches in his past sermon, and the internet just exploded. The Christian internet exploded. Like the rest of the world didn't care, but for Christians, you were like, oh, how dare you? You know, small church pastors, oh, we're good churches too. And, and what you saw were people who maybe they had good intentions, but they were so wrapped up in a ministry or a person on both sides that the truth and the following of Jesus kind of got pushed to the side. Anytime that happens, people get hurt and lives change for the worse rather than the better. 
So instead of having a, a cult, we want to have a church. We want what God is creating, not what we can create. That brings us to walking worthy. And this will be kind of our, our last topic. Colossians 1, in, uh, or not 1, chapter, uh, verse 10 to 14 says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance with, of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice how much emphasis is put on Jesus and how little is put on us in, in regards to performance. Your worth is not found in what you can do. Your worth is found in what Jesus has done. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday not because you believe in the cross, but because of the cross. Whether you believe in the cross or not is kind of secondary. What Jesus has done on the cross is worthy to be worshipped and praised and to be exalted, to be proclaimed. Now we would ask that you would hear the commands of Scripture, the invitations of Scripture, and give your life to Jesus and thus see the cross not just as a moment in time, but as the moment in time where the spirit and the flesh collided and sin was atoned for and covered by the blood of the Lamb. But, while that determines your worth, now we are called to walk worthy. Now what does that mean? There's a great danger here to jump into legalism. Do this or God will be displeased. Do this or you're not saved. Now, your salvation is not relying upon you. I liken it to a baby that's being held in your arms. That baby's safety has very little to do with them, right? I mean, they might latch onto your shirt and they might grab onto your arm, but is that really what's holding them up? No. No, their, their security is found in the one that's holding them. Your salvation is found, or your, excuse me, your security in salvation is found today, not in what you can do, but in what Jesus has done. However, now that you've been called to that kingdom, you've been transferred from one to the other, Paul says, from the kingdom of Satan and sin to the kingdom of God. Now you must walk according to that change. See, if, if, if I think that, okay, I've been saved, I've transferred from this kingdom to this kingdom, but yet I still walk like I'm over there, I'm not walking worthy of the salvation that God has given me. You know, if any of you have ever had to change careers or change jobs, um, you go from one place and then you go to the next and you're like, well, back there they always did this. And eventually somebody's going to tell you, well, you're not at that place anymore. That, that was there. Now you're here. And you being here is not relying upon what you can do, but because you're here, it should affect what you do. You being saved by Jesus should change you. It should cause you to have such a radical transformation in your life, not of your own will, but by as a byproduct of being filled with the Spirit, that it's like you have been born again. That's the verbiage that Jesus uses, that you will be born again. It's like you were born all over again. So now, now that you have been transferred from one kingdom to the other, you see things differently. You, know, you look at something like Game of Thrones, which I've never seen, but I hear so much about. And the people who love Game of Thrones must be 
like exhausted because all they ever do is talk about how much they love that show, and it's like their part-time job. But my understanding is that there's a lot of nudity in that show. Okay, so so for me as a Christian, I can't allow that temptation to come into my house. I can't uh, honor that or lift that up as good entertainment. I can't allow Satan to have that kind of foothold into my life. Some of you are like, well, it's just you know, it's all make believe. No, they're really they are really naked. And so I have to, you know, I want to protect my son from and my daughter from from the manipulation that comes from Satan through those types of things. And so I have to step back and say, no, I, I can't. You know, there's fantasy, there's make-believe, but those cause real temptations, so I've got to be careful. Why? Not because I, I think that if I watch Game of Thrones, my salvation is taken away. That's not why. It's because I've been called into a new kingdom that I have to walk in. I have to walk in a matter, excuse me, in a manner worthy of the kingdom I now work in, uh, or that I now live in. Now, this is not... Gosh, don't hear this, that there's a constant threat of you being just ejected from God's kingdom because you made you did something wrong. That's not what's being advocated or taught right here and right now. But as you have been changed and transferred into a new kingdom, your perspectives will be changed. Some of you will go back to your old sin and you'll remark, you'll, you'll say, it doesn't feel the way that it did back then. It's not like it was there. I, it used to feel so good, and now, and now I just—it makes me feel everything but. Why did I ever do that? And I hope that by the grace of God, you kind of have that moment where you go, "Wow, I, I see what God has saved me from. I can't go back to that. I've been called to a new kingdom. I have a higher standard." Now, there's always repentance. There's always forgiveness, but we don't operate as. Um, we don't operate in a manner that, that we always have this net so we can do whatever we want, this net that will catch us if we do whatever we want. We, we say, you know, these are the, these are the rules or the, 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 the barriers that Christ has set up for us. If I find myself outside of it, Jesus comes for me. He comes for the one. But I want to stay in the fold as, as long as I can. That's the place of deepest communication with Christ. That's the, the place where, where my life sees the most prosperity. That's where I am filled with the most joy and peace. Outside of that, it's darkness and barrenness. But inside of that, it's life and life more abundant, Jesus says. It says that in verse 12 that God is the one who qualified us. I love that verse. I love that, it's, first, it's not my job to qualify you. It's not like I have a sheet at the end of the day and talk to Jesus and say, well, this person didn't do this. They didn't speak in tongues. They didn't even give. Well, it's nothing like that. I don't qualify you. Jesus has qualified you. Jesus has made you worthy. But now you are called to walk in a way that is worthy of Christ. So what does that look like? You know, what, what does that feel like? What's, what is something tangible that, that could be an example of that? I keep pointing back to the life of Paul. He went from killing Christians to not killing Christians. That's a, that's a, that's a 180. If you're going to define doing a 180, I think that should be right in the front. You know, Paul walking along that road, being blinded by the light, and then giving his life to Jesus. Going from a killer of the church to a builder of the church. You, know, you look at men throughout history who have just been uh, cold, hard, atheists, and they pick up the Bible to disprove it, and then they become Christians themselves. That's what, that's what happens when people meet Jesus. 
doesn't matter how much you don't believe in God. doesn't matter how much you even hate God. Once you know the truth, it's liberating and it's freedom. And it brings you to that place that you've been desiring for so long. You know, I look at a man like, like Bill Maher. If you guys are familiar with Bill Maher, he's a very hard, uh, cold, hard atheist. He's the guy I think of whenever I say that phrase. He very much hates religion. And the thing I respect about him is that he hates all religion pretty equally. But he really hates Christians and Christianity and feels that we are very dumb and foolish for what we do. See, when I think about him and his, his pleasure in disproving the gospel, I, I just in the back of my mind keep hoping that one day that he meets Jesus. That all these things that he's fought so hard against will then become true. That the, the Holy Spirit will open his eyes to see that there will be repentance. And we won't lord that over him. Can you imagine him then one day using the ability he has for humor and public speaking to be used in the kingdom of God? Like how great that would be? I mean God doesn't need him, but God could certainly use him, right? How awesome would it be that just a person who hated Jesus now loves Jesus? Because we know that Jesus died for him just like he did for us, right? Salvation isn't just, you know, the blood of Jesus was shed not just for the ones who will choose it, but for even those who reject it and say no. And so our hope is that the qualification that we need to enter into the kingdom, to be transferred from the one to the other, is not on what we have done, but what is, is, is found in what Jesus has done. But now that we're there, we are kingdom people. We, walk, we, we are a, a called people, a royal priesthood. That means we walk different than other people. We talk different than other people. It's not on purpose. It should be something that is, is starting in you. If it, has, if it hasn't yet, then all we do is pray. We go, back to, we go back to the beginning. You see the cycle here. Okay, now we're going to pray that you will have all understanding of God's will, that you will know what he has called you to, that your eyes will be open to this. If church on Sunday was all left up to how convincing I could be, None of you would be here. I'm convinced of that. If it was all about my salesmanship and how I can spin a phrase and that sort of thing, um, then this church would shut down quickly. But it's not up to me. It's up to the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to all of this. And I have all the faith in him. I have all the faith in God that he will do that for you. That you, you could go from being, I don't, want to do the God, I don't want to do the Lord's will, to man, that's the only thing that I want. It's not because I've convinced you with information and stats and figures. It's because the God of all creation has triggered that in you. So how do we respond? First, you surrender. Nine times out of ten, I even go 99% out of 100, our first thing, the first thing we have to do is simply surrender. You ever had, you ever had the kid throwing the tantrum in the store? You ever had that? Yeah. All right. It was a rhetorical question, but sure, we'll respect that. Okay. Good point. You get to be the example now since you chimed in. Um, it never really gets good until they just finally stop, right? And sometimes they don't. Sometimes you're – I mean I've literally had to take kids like this, like a football, out the store. Um, not my own kids, surprisingly enough. And that's not just joking like other kids that I've cared for and things. Um Consequently, I don't do a lot of babysitting. Um, but, you know, you take them, and it's like they have that meltdown. And it's like, that's it. You're done. You, there's no reasoning anymore. There's no bargaining. It goes it, – it, it, it's just past uh, – a notch past 
uh, a terrorist negotiation at that point. You're just like, we're done. So you take that child, and until they surrender, nothing gets done, right? No eating, no sleeping, no nothing. They don't, they're not hearing anything. Can't even think. And as a parent, that's a really hectic place to be in. You know, when I see children freak out in a store, I don't judge that parent and go, oh, what a horrible parent. I say, man, that sucks. Like, that is the worst. Um, I'm going to do my best not to stare and just go over here and make sure, you know, nobody's getting abused. Good. Okay. Oh, look at uh, paper towels are 99 cents. Um, until that child relinquishes that spirit right then, until there is surrender, not much is going to change. It's that moment where that child finally gives up when you can begin to correct them and change them and love them and show them not just the folly of what they've done, but to get down on their level and speak to them to where they receive what you're saying. And it's the same for adults. Paul, Paul called the people in Corinth spiritual children. And spiritual children, people who are immature in their faith, they, they throw spiritual tantrums. Well, I'm not going to give. Well, I'm not going to go to church this Sunday. I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do that. You know, children. First thing we can do is surrender. God, I'm sorry. I, I, I lay down. I put my, put my arms down. I put my arms up. Anything that is symbolic of surrendering, I'm waving the white flag. I'm done. I'm, I'm done with a life that does not cease to pray. I am done Implant, you know, asking for you to bless my will rather than following your will. I am done qualifying myself. I am done allowing Satan uh, discourage me from feeling any kind of worth. I'm tired of finding worth in myself only because at the end of the day, I realize that, that my worth is very little outside of you. I surrender. I give up. You know, nine times out of ten, that burden just kind of rolls off at that point. Jesus said, my yoke is light. And when you feel that heavy yoke, something's been added that wasn't from him. Romans 8 and 1 says, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's not the same as feeling guilty for what you've done. If you've done something wrong and you feel bad about it, that's a good thing. You should not feel good about doing bad things. We're talking about the guilt or the condemnation that hangs above the head of a of a person who's going to be executed for their sin, that is now gone. So we surrender and then we repent. Talked about the 180 repentance is, is going one direction and going the you know turning around going the other way. I was sinning and now I'm turning away from that. And that one turn right there, as quick as I made it, I mean, that's the struggling, the clawing, the praying, the seeking, the family coming together, everybody praying for one another so that you might Oh, pull away and turn around. You know, we look at those people who, who do it so quickly and we marvel. Oh, they just gave up crystal meth. Oh, they just gave up adultery. Oh, they just gave up alcoholism. But you never saw that, that turn. All you saw was, was them going this way and then you saw them going this way. I guarantee you, there might be times where things instantly switch, but for the most part, that struggle, that wrestling with God, that's the part where we don't see because it happens behind closed doors. But for us, that's what we need to be doing. So, oh, like I'm turning away from this. Lord, and Paul will talk about this in Colossians later. In your strength, I will turn away to walk in a, word, a, a way that's worthy, a manner that's worthy of being in this kingdom. So we surrender, we repent, we worship. 
On Sunday morning, we give you opportunity to worship in song. We give you opportunity to worship now as you as you hear the word preached. We give the children opportunity to worship. You know, you give opportunity to worship in giving. We're going to have food. That's going to be an exercise of our worship and fellowship. By serving and loving one another, uh, we're going to be following the will of God. Worship, like prayer, is this lifestyle. Worship is not about how worth, how worthy you are. To go back to the guitar, the guitar was just a hunk of wood, splattered paint, strings, no big whoop. Million other guitars that could do the exact same thing. The worth was found not in the guitar, but in who created it and who it belonged to. And you have been created by Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus. That is where you find your worth. That is what makes you worthy. So today I'm going to ask you to stand and give your life to Jesus. Well, I'm already a Christian. Okay, good. It should come a lot faster than for other people. Stand up. Oh, that was ironic. <laughs> He's safe. Stand up. Let's pray. We'll, bless, we'll, we'll do this. We'll bless the food. Please stay. Even if you didn't bring anything, if you didn't know it was today, it's okay. We've got food. There's always too much food. In this moment, as we pray, it's very important what you put your mind on. We're going to put, your, put our minds on Christ. Amen? Father, we, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that as we honor him, we honor you. That as your name is lifted up, that as the name of Jesus is lifted up, it's that name by which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So, Lord, I come here. My, my desire is that we would all surrender and repent and worship and be loved. But I know that it's not by my power or my might or my words that will make anybody do that. I am fully relying on you now, Lord, that you would bring that surrender and repentance to your people. We've all done it, Lord. We've all, we've all felt what Romans says, that we've fallen short of the glory of God. We, we know that, Lord. But, Father, we know the rest of the scripture that speaks about the free gift of salvation that's found only in you. I thank you that our salvation is not based on what we can do. It's based on what you have done. And now that we have that realization, Lord, and now as the Holy Spirit has opened our minds to it, help us to walk in that, Lord. As the week progresses, may this become a message that's tangible and doable, that we would see the contrast between the way the world does something and the way we do something, or we are called to do something. May we look upon the life of Jesus he walked everywhere, Lord. He walked in the temple. He walked in the places where the prostitutes and tax collectors were. But in those places, he was exactly who you called him to be. He was never not the son of God, whether he was in the temple or eating with prostitutes and tax collectors or just walking with crowds of sinners, Lord. He was always the person you called him to be and, create, and, and he was created to be. So, Lord, we praise you today. And I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.